Let's pray. God, thank you for these people. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. Ask God that as we open up your word in 1 Samuel chapter 18, that you would speak to us uh, what you want us to hear from it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so our chapter today is going to show us some things about David. It's going to show us uh, his successes, his being loved, and that the Lord is with him. And lastly, that everyone loves David, except for one man named Saul. And we're going to see these two vastly different reactions from Saul and Jonathan towards the same man, David, even though they are father and son. So let's start there, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And Jonathan recognized this kindred spirit uh, with, with David. And uh, both of them had this adventurous spirit among, within them. And both of them were risk takers. And both of them had this deep faith in, in God's power to deliver them wherever God was leading them. So, so they kind of just bonded And verse 4 is significant because they show one station in life and who that person is. So it's as if this giving of the articles of combat, you know, the bow and and, uh, his belt and his sword and and his robe, Jonathan is willingly transferring his right of succession to David. And Jonathan is submitting to David and, and giving him this royal prestige that is actually his to have, but he's giving this away. And the things Jonathan was giving away signified Jonathan's position as a crown prince. And, and so no one else had those things to give. And it's not like they can be purchased at Costco or something, right? This, this is his stuff. This is the prince's stuff. And Jonathan is so moved by David, so moved to see that God was willing, that, that he's willing to give up his rights as, as the heir to the throne. But Saul has quite the opposite feelings towards David. The, the irony here is that it, it foreshadows the fact that the kingdom will go to David. And while Saul is fighting this fact, Jonathan is welcoming it. Now, how could Jonathan do this? Well, it's because Jonathan was a man of faith. Jonathan was a man of faith. What Jonathan was doing was an act of faith. And he was so secure in his relationship with God and who God is that that his faith made him willing to be the lesser. And Jonathan knew God was the true king of Israel, so his faith allowed him to, to surrender, surrender his rights. And it's true for us as well. The true faith in Jesus causes us to surrender our rights that we think we have or that we think that we have a right to have and we submit them to Jesus who is our king. And so Jonathan embodied Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 7. Right? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And that's Jonathan. Let's continue on in 1 Samuel, verse 5. 
And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of, the, of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this thing displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can, be, can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Saul's taking this song pretty seriously here. And it's clearly that, that he's really insecure with David. And everyone, including Saul's own servants, they, they like David. But, but Saul sees something the others don't see. Saul is kind of overanalyzing this song that no one else is. And people are celebrating, and he can't seem to take in the celebration. Rather, he's, he's paranoid. He's paranoid, and he, he seems to be alone in his paranoia. But Saul, Saul does know something that no one else knows except for him and Samuel. You go back to chapter 15, verse 28. It says, And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So he knew something that no one else did. So, so kind of feeding into this paranoia, he knew that this was so. So Saul, Saul can't enjoy the victory because he knows that the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from him. And the throne is no longer his. And instead of repenting and getting right with God, he tries to scheme his way into keeping his position, into keeping his crown. And that's what pride does. So Saul becomes the hunter. David becomes the hunted. And, and, you know, David didn't deserve any of this suspicion from Saul. But neither did Jesus, descendant of David. I mean, what did Jesus do to deserve the suspicion that he got the un, and ultimately the death from the religious leaders of his day? What, what did Jesus do? Feed the hungry? Heal the sick? Cast out demons? Raise the dead? Embody the very spirit and the nature of God? Is that what he did that deserved that? So it shouldn't surprise us if we are persecuted. It shouldn't surprise us to find out how fragile our physical lives are. It shouldn't surprise us how vulnerable we are. So our security doesn't lie in ourselves, but, but it lies in God, our protector, who, who, who was the same protector David had back then. And yet Saul, Saul plots the demise of David. Saul saw David as a threat. And he saw this ambitious guy coming up through the ranks. And, but he didn't see him as a man destined by God. See, Saul had lost contact with God. And, and because of that, he couldn't understand God's way any longer. And, and what's ironic is that Saul's son does understand. Jonathan is on good terms with the Lord, and he's drawn to David. And that's something about sin. Sin makes us imperceptive, that we can't see what God has for us. Verse 10, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So we see this division towards David. How David is so favorable in the eyes of Jonathan, but so despised in the eyes of Saul. 
And there's this stark division that we've read from uh, verses 1 through 11. And you see this high regard and this high uh, admiration factor from Jonathan, Saul's son, the crown prince, and, and the visible heir to the throne of David. And then you have Saul's envy and Saul's jealousy. And it's interesting to see the two different reactions to David, the anointed king. And what's fascinating is that neither one knew he was the anointed king. You just have these two different reactions. And, and, it, and it's reminiscent of, of the Gospel of John where there's a division regarding Jesus. You go back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. John chapter 9, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But the others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. John chapter 10, verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And so we see Jonathan who essentially takes this John the Baptist position with David. And you remember in John chapter 3, verses 29 through 30, where John the Baptist said, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. And this is the attitude that Jonathan had toward David. And Jonathan sought to have David increase while he decreased. But Saul's attitude is totally different. Saul wanted David dead. And he wanted to increase, even though it was made clear to him by the prophet Samuel that the Lord was no longer with him as king. And Jesus said in chapter 10, verse 35 of Matthew, For I have come to set a man against his father. And if Jonathan were to hear those words, he he would totally understand what that meant. Because there's this clear division among father and son regarding God's anointed. Now, do you know of how many up-and-coming young men have been undermined by disobedient older men? You see it in corporate America. You see it in politics. But it also happens in churches. It also happens in ministries. But may Jesus increase and may we decrease. And Saul thinks that his attempted murder against David is justified. But we'll see that it was because of the fear that that Saul tried to kill David. Verses 12-16. through Let's read those. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. We see here the success of David, what the secret behind his success was. It was that the Lord was with him. And it's obvious to see that David had favor from God. And the author tells us three times that the key to David's success was the Lord's. Was the Lord in verses 12, 13, and 28. And then something ironic happens here in verse 13. Saul removed David from his presence and he made him commander of a thousand. And instead of limiting David's exposure, he put David on this greater platform to be known by the people you would think that it would be a wiser move to, to keep uh, David close, right? 
Why, why give him a bigger platform and, and keep him in close in the, inside the courts? Not let him go out to the battlefield where, where he'll have more successes and more blessings from God, get greater exposure, where people are going to have more opportunity to have this high regard and admiration for David. And then there's that phrase in verse 13, he went out and came in before the people. That phrase refers to going out to battle, coming back. And because of this, now all of Israel and Judah, they, they love David. So, so Saul's plan, it backfires. So Saul's plan is, is just not working for him. And we'll see this continue hap- to happen in the book of Samuel. Now the word love, in connection with the people's reaction to David in this chapter, it's found six times. Verse 1, 3, 16, 20, 22, 28. And he was found to be pleasing to the people in verses 5, 7, and 30. So you see this favorable reaction that David has. And instead of getting David out of his sight, Saul created a worse situation for himself. And while everyone loves the success of David, Saul doesn't feel like the others. Saul lived this dreadful life while everyone's celebrating David's successes. He's he's just sulking and and mad. What is consistently repeated throughout the chapter, along with David's successes and popularity, are Saul's reactions to David. Right? Verses 8 through 9, 11 through 12, 15, 17, 21, 29. All of Saul's negative reactions towards David. He was suspicious. He was fearful. And four times he attempted to kill his loyal servant David. Verse 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clans in Israel? And I should be a son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, for a wife. Saul's making another unwise decision. He was inviting David to gain royalty status. You know, he, he's like, I'll oh, be my son-in-law. You, you be a part of royalty. And I, and I don't know what Saul was thinking. Maybe he thought that he, that he tried getting him out of his sight, but, but now he's even more popular than before. So, so he thought that bringing him closer, that's going to solve my problems now. Who knows? So, so we see that there, there was something else that Saul did besides throw a spear at David to try and kill him. Right? Saul tried to kill David in this overt way with a spear, but, but we see that Saul had these covert plans as well, these, these malicious plans of getting rid of David as well. He, he wanted him to fight in battle. And you remember in verse 17, Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For, for Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But then David gave this humble response in verse 18. He, he questioned his own worthiness and, and the worthiness of his social status to be a king's son-in-law. Like, who am I? Then we come to find out that Saul broke his word in verse 19. And we're not told why. We, we just know that it didn't work out for David and Merib. But then we find out that his other daughter, Michael, she, she had the hots for David. So, so it worked out. So, so we see Saul making all these unwise decisions, but I think it's telling that that's what sin does. Your, your decisions just aren't good. 
Sin makes us unperceptive to God's wisdom, to God's Word. Now, now we get into a, how Saul will attempt to let the Philistines do his dirty work for him in these next few verses. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michael for a wife. In verses 20 through 22, Saul was setting a trap for David. In verses 22 through 26, the trap was sprung, and it was Michael. Michael was uh, used as the bait to try to lure, lure him in. And we see that Saul's motives, uh, we see the motives in verses 21 and 25, but through all of this, Saul's plans failed. You see in verse 27. Again, we see, we see D- David's humble response here. Right? He's like, oh, well, who am I? I'm a poor guy. And David, David understood his low position. David doesn't seem to see the trap, and, and he welcomed the challenge, but he didn't view Saul's request as some death sentence. And he knew he could never afford a dowry for, for a king's daughter, so, so he's up for the task. He's up for doing this. But we see that the Lord was with David, and Saul's schemes, they just don't work. And David and his men, they, they bring back the foreskins, which were a proof that the men were dead. Because no guy's going to willingly let you do that. And, and, they were, and they were Philistines. Because most of the countries around Israel, they practice circumcision. And so one of the exceptions were the Philistines, so that was kind of proof. And some of you may be wondering, like, why foreskin? That's a weirdo. Not quite sure why the gore, but, but that's kind of ancient warfare. Pretty gory, right? It, it's not like they had the, these refined table manners. Oh, please, you know. It's Grey Poupon or whatever. If, if you look at the Assyrians, if you look at the Philistines, how they treated their enemies, it's gory. Just read any of those uh, books about the history of how they treated their, their prisoners of war. So, you know, sometimes they'd cut off their hands of their enemies, and they would bring their the hands of their enemies home as kind of a token of victory. And, and the foreskins, that's, that's what Saul wanted. He wanted that as a token of victory because he knew the Philistines weren't circumcised, so hey, bring that. But, but the point of all this was that it didn't work. Saul's plans, whether throwing a spear at David and doing it overtly or sending him out to war covertly, it didn't work. God protected David in battle. Saul, Saul tried, tried that direct approach. Doesn't work. He tried the indirect approach. Doesn't work. And Saul was thinking that, you know, 
Law of averages, right? One of those Philistines, they're going to kill him. Someone's going to kill him if I send him out. I mean, what are the odds, right? He asked for 100 kills. Someone is going to kill David. But he didn't. Right? That, 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 that scheme didn't work. And in fact, David comes back with 200. So Saul has clearly shown the, the protection on God of God on David's life. And, th- and this was kind of scary to Saul. Like, what? I can't do anything. I can't throw a spear at the guy. I, I can't send him out to battle and he won't die. And so David's preserved with, whether Saul tries to kill him himself or have others kill him. So how does this apply to us? Because we're not anointed kings. But, but you know, we, we are the Lord's people. We are the Lord's people. And is it possible that we owe some gratitude to God for, for how He has preserved us? And you remember that phrase in John Newton's song, An Amazing Grace, Through Many Dangers, Toils, and Snares? Is it possible that we, like David, have been preserved in our life? Especially living here? And, and for some of us, it's amazing that we're still alive. Some of, some of you guys, you come from some crazy stuff. You really do. I've heard some of your stories. You, you've made me like not surprised about anything anymore. Like I've heard it. I've heard it. And it's amazing that you're still here. It's amazing. And there's a gratitude that we, we owe to our protector, that we owe to our deliverer, our shield, because we simply are still here. And some of us have faced these direct assaults. Right? These direct spears towards us. And some of us have faced these assaults where, where they're more covert, where somebody has this hidden agenda behind them, is trying to maneuver things against us, or, or something else. We may just not know that something is against us. We don't know. Someone has something against us that we don't know. But regardless, God has protected us. God has preserved us. And sometimes God has, has done so without us knowing. Oftentimes, we don't know and and we can't see the hand of God protecting us. So what do we owe to our God who protects us, who preserves us? And I remember a story uh, my pastor told me, my pastor in Southern California, he was receiving these death threats in the mail. And um, this is before email. So he's receiving these death threats in his mailbox. And um, he wasn't so worried about himself because he's a ninja. But he did have concerns over his family. He was concerned for his family. And so the authorities were informed about this, and the authorities actually knew who this guy was, and the guy that was threatening my pastor with these death threats, but they couldn't do anything because he didn't do anything yet. you got to wait till he tries to kill you before we can do anything. And, and so my pastor kept getting these death threats. And, and so some time passed by, and my pastor was uh, later told that this guy sending death threats, he died. He died in a car accident. And so my, my, my pastor saw it as God's protection because these letters were intensifying. They were telling him, like, this is what I'm going to do to you. This is a, all this stuff. And so, so this was an overt protection of God. But what about the protection from God that we don't know about? The dangers and the perils that He has kept us safe from that we don't know of. 
And we tend to think about those noticeable dangers, those noticeable things that, that God has protected us from. But have, have you ever thought about the dangers of God uh, that, that God has protected you from that, that we don't know about, that we haven't seen, that, that we won't know until we see Him face to face? And I think a lot of the things God protects us from, we're just not even aware of. Can you imagine if He just removed Himself? And so I think there's a lot to be thankful for to God. Verse 28, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul Saul was well aware that that the Lord was with David, and that his his daughter loved this shepherd boy, turned pizza delivery boy, turned turned like... Warrior, slingshot warrior, turn rock star, uh, turn prince. And he grew more afraid of David and he saw his best warrior and his best soldier. Now he's his son-in-law. Now he, he's royalty. What did I do? You just don't make good decisions when you're in sin. And instead of thanking God for, for having such a man of valor for having such a great commander in his military. Saul was totally consumed with fear and felt the need to kill David, his best soldier. And David seemed to be unaware of Saul's plot to kill him. Saul threw some spears at him, but David probably just thought that, that Saul was having another bad day. right? That, that, that's why David was brought in the first place, to, to comfort Saul in these troubling times. So he probably didn't think much of that. Verse 30, Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. We see from these verses that the the, the favor David had and the disfavor and the fear that Saul had, it's something that's picked up by reading this text. There there are several verses pointing to to David's success or his favor. and So we can go back to those verses. Verse 5, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Verse 14, And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Verse 15, And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Verse 30, And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul. So we have four references to David's success. Or successes. And there, there are three references that tell us that God was with David. And this was something that Saul saw. He knew that God had departed from him. And you let, let's look at the verses where Saul was fearful. Verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And there, was, and, the, and there are other verses where we see Saul's fears here. Verse 15, and when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Verse 29, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Saul was fearful. And some of you may be wondering, why didn't David just get the heck out of there? Why did he stay there? I mean, the the message is pretty clear that Saul wants him dead, so why would David stay in that situation? David didn't take this personally. I don't think he knew at the time that Saul was aiming for him. I mentioned earlier that he probably thought that Saul was just having another bad day. So David probably thought that you know, Saul would have thrown a spear at anybody, whoever was there. It was not just me. Like He's, he's just grumpy. So, so David doesn't recognize the maliciousness that Saul had towards him. I mean, how could he, right? 
How could he? He's getting all these mixed messages. All these mixed signals. Who would think that someone would offer you a commander position over a thousand men in your army if he was against you? Who would think that a man would offer you his two daughters in marriage if he wanted you dead? Unless you really had some jacked up daughters. But (laughs) really, who would do that? Those are some pretty good offers. Right? Be the CEO of my company. No, oh, take marry my daughter. You're a great guy. Throw a spear at you. I go, yeah. I think he likes me. Right? So it's just kind of confusing. Like he probably didn't think that. So to be best friends with his son. The heir to the throne, right? David doesn't think anything of this until next week. When things get clearer for him. And so as we wrap up chapter 18, there are a couple of questions that we need to ask ourselves. Have, have I taken the Jonathan position with Jesus? Where, where Jesus increases and I decrease. And it's a constant battle, isn't it? He must increase and I must decrease. And the second question is, um, do I have the right attitude towards God and His protection over me? Do, do I have a heart of gratitude for, for the spears in my life or the Philistines in my life? And not just the, the noticeably overt dangers in my life, but those covert and those hidden ones that the Lord has protected me from that I don't even know about. Do I have a heart of gratitude? And maybe some of us need to, to get together with God to our, express our thanks. And maybe your life isn't as bad as you think because if He really let it happen... You wouldn't even be here. You're here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for these people. I pray, Lord, that You would increase and that we would decrease. God, I also ask, Lord, that You would show us some of the things that You've protected us from so that we can express to You a heart of gratitude. Knowing that Your hand is over us, that You are our shield, that You are our protector. In Jesus' name, amen.